The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Zeal. If you want a good massage but don't have the time to get one, have the massage come to you with Zeal. You pick the time and the location. Have your next massage on demand at home. Our listeners can get $20 off their first massage with promo code BIGIDEA. Good morning. I'm James Hellman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, May 15th. In today's news, joy in Jerusalem is overshadowed by death in Gaza. A prosecutor drops a felony charge against Missouri's governor, but he may still get impeached anyway. And the White House is blocking the publication of an alarming government study on water contamination. But first, the big idea. The Iraqi election results are bad news for the United States. Maqtada al-Sadr's surprisingly strong performance in the Iraqi elections will rattle U.S. relations with the country. Sadr is a ferocious critic of American policies in the Middle East, and his unexpected electoral hall immediately calls into question the continuing presence of American troops in Iraq. Sadr's ticket won the most seats in Iraq's parliamentary election, according to results from all 18 provinces that were released on Monday. That places him in the best position to select the country's next prime minister and set the course for how the nation emerges from its costly war against the Islamic State. His ascendancy comes at the expense of the preferred candidate of the United States, Prime Minister Haider al-Abadi. He came in third. The name Sadr probably sounds familiar, and it should. The Shiite cleric first gained international notoriety as a young militia leader who fought and killed many U.S. troops after the 2003 invasion. But Sadr has grown increasingly pragmatic over the years, and he's formed a cross-sectarian electoral alliance emphasizing Iraqi nationalism over loyalty to Iranian clerics and American military and political backing. He's presented himself over the last few months as a sort of technocrat. How did he win? Sadr's base was ginned up in an election that saw very low turnout. He campaigned as a change agent, promising to fight corruption and reform the patronage system. This helped his ticket fare better than expected in some provinces. It is a setback for American interests, to be sure. But there's a silver lining. The Iranians also distrust this guy. They see him as too independent, and he's pushed back when Tehran tried to dictate the agenda for Shiite politicians like him. Just like the U.S., Iran will now also have to recalibrate how to advance its interests in Iraq. And Sadr's spokesman sounded a conciliatory tone toward Washington yesterday after the results came in. An aide said he supports honoring commitments that have already been made between Iraq and the United States concerning the training of Iraqi security forces and weapons purchases, as long as they serve Iraq's interests and there is, quote, no interference on the sovereignty of Iraq. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Israeli forces killed 58 Palestinians and injured at least 2,700 others during yesterday's protests against the U.S. moving its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem along the Gaza border. It was the territory's bloodiest day since the Israel-Gaza conflict in 2014. Tens of thousands of Palestinians had gathered on the edges of the fenced-off blockaded territory. Many came to peacefully demonstrate and brought their children. There was music and stalls that sold food. But the protests appeared to have a more violent edge. At one gathering point, organizers urged demonstrators over loudspeakers to burst through the fence. 
No Israeli soldiers were injured, and Israel is now drawing widespread condemnation for excessive use of force. But the Trump administration is refusing to admonish Israel, blaming instead the Sunni militant group Hamas for the violence. In Jerusalem, a very different scene was unfolding while tear gas and live ammunition rained down on the Gaza protesters. Members of a high-level presidential delegation, including first daughter Ivanka Trump and her husband Jared Kushner, as well as dozens of members of Congress, were gathering to celebrate the opening of the new embassy. Number two, St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, basically the district attorney, dropped her prosecution of Missouri's Republican Governor Eric Greitens last night. But GOP leaders are still calling on him to resign immediately. Greitens has been under investigation for allegedly taking a nude photo of a woman without her consent and then threatening to share it if she told her husband about their extramarital affair. Gardner's move came in the face of the defense team's plan to call her as a witness. The governor's lawyers argue that Gardner had knowledge of perjury that had been committed by a private investigator who has been pursuing the case. She asked the court to appoint a special prosecutor to refile the felony charge of invasion of privacy against the governor. The decision followed the news that investigators were unable to find evidence in Greitens' phone, email, or Apple iCloud, proving that he took the alleged photo of the woman. Greitens declared victory outside the courthouse, but Republican legislative leaders say the developments will have no impact on whether the Missouri General Assembly moves forward with impeachment proceedings, a process that's set to begin Friday night. The House Speaker says his chamber's investigation of the governor has uncovered additional concerns. And even if Greitens survives impeachment, he'll face mounting legal problems in other issues. In addition to the invasion of privacy charge, which as I noted might get refiled, he has also recently been indicted on felony computer tampering charges. He's been accused of trying to circumvent the state's open records law by using a self-destructing text message app. And Washington University and the John Temple Foundation are now investigating whether he violated an agreement by allegedly using an academic grant to pay his political staffers during his campaign for governor in 2016. Number three, the White House and Scott Pruitt's EPA intervened to block the publication of a federal health study on a nationwide water contamination crisis after a White House official warned that its release would trigger a, quote, public relations nightmare for them. The study shows that a class of toxic chemicals has contaminated water supplies near military bases, chemical plants, and other sites from New York to Michigan and West Virginia. The assessment shows that the chemicals endanger human health at a far lower level than the EPA has previously called safe. In an email obtained under the Freedom of Information Act, an unidentified White House aide wrote that it would be, quote, extremely painful if the report got out. More than three months later, the draft study remains unpublished, and the administration says there is no date scheduled to put it out. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, May 15th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.